The Duty of Women, Chapter 20 It didn't take long to gather my things together. I said goodbye to the few people I was still friendly with. Sir Thomas Wyatt was away again. The Seymour family were in mourning. Most of Anne Boleyn's party were dead. The musicians, chambermaids and cooks were kind and I was slipped many small gifts of cake, sheet music and bunches of dried lavender. Most of the time I went through these goodbyes in a daze. I wondered what I was going to do. The first problem was where to go. Thankfully, I knew that Maria, Lady Willoughby, would always allow me to stay at her London house. I needed to tell Will what was happening, but I didn't know exactly where he was. I left a message at Thomas Cromwell's offices and hoped he would get it. And so, after nearly 20 years, I walked out of the Queen's apartments for the last time. Looking back, I thought I could see Queen Catherine sitting there in all her splendour, reading an improving text. Or maybe, across the room, Queen Anne singing, with her black eyes flashing. Maybe even poor Queen Jane eating sweetmeats. Were they there? I don't know. I think in truth those three women had changed me so much that they would always be a part of me. Did I see them because they were wishing me well from beyond the grave? Or was it that they had now become part of me and would follow me everywhere I went? Such things are beyond our comprehension, daughter. I told Maria... Lady Willoughby, about my visions. She smiled and nodded. I see my darling Catalina with her long red gold hair and her blue boots. She was so pretty and that is how I see her now. I know she is now at peace with Jesu, but she was ever loyal. Maybe she sends us a sign every now and then, who knows. But it was her that told me you were on your way. She came, carrying a lute, and handed it to me. I knew she was signifying that you would come to me. She did not play the lute. No, the instrument represented you, dear Kat. It felt so good to be with one of the four people on this earth who knew the secret of my birth. For the first two nights I stayed with Maria, we spent hours talking about my mother, Catherine of Aragon. How lovely she was, how learned, 
how her temper would splutter like an unwatched pot and then just as quickly subside again. How brave and how pious her life and how many people had loved her. We wept and then we laughed. The way she handled the king was impressive, said Maria. No one since then has managed it. She would only refer to Anne Boleyn obliquely. She did not blame me for working for Catherine's rival, but she could never bring herself to directly acknowledge her. It was dangerous to stand against the king. I know that, but that lady is one I cannot forgive. Lady Willoughby was due to travel to her estates in Lincolnshire the following spring, and she was determined to make sure I was settled by then. She told me not to worry. I will not let Catalina's daughter sleep on the streets. I knew that she loved me because I was Catherine's daughter. I asked her once if she loved Lady Mary in the same way. She corrected me at once. Princess Mary, I will not deny her her rightful title. Cat, I respect her and would serve her until death should she require it. But I do not know her the way I know you. Royal children grow up away from court. But for you, a foundling, there was no problem to stay with the Queen. I think maybe she did suspect something because her love for you was so intense. But how could she have known? All we knew was that you had become dear to her and to me. So I cannot let you starve, Cat, nor see you in destitution. Lady Mary will never need that kind of help, but you do. She called in her chamberlain and had long discussions with him, which went on over several weeks. I planned to go and visit Wolf Hall and see you, my daughter, with Meady, but all journeys had to wait until the spring. The weather was too bad for any but the most essential of travel. Lady Willoughby's friends at court told us that Christmas had been overshadowed by the King's grief for Queen Jane. The court was still in mourning and the merriment and flirting of previous years was absent. Lady Willoughby's household celebrated quietly. I talked to Lady Willoughby about Jane, the serving maid, and much to her delight, she was allowed two days off to go and see her son. On New Year's Day, we gave presents. I gave Maria, Lady Willoughby, a carved wooden jewellery box, which she placed immediately beside her bed. She gave me a small ivory comb that she told me had once belonged to Queen Catherine as a girl. I could have sworn that the scent of rose oil still clung to that comb. Will you play for me, Cat? Some of the Spanish songs she loved, Maria asked me. I had not played for several weeks, but I took up my lute and started. Oh, that makes me remember when we were young together, Maria cried, walking and laughing in the Alhambra gardens, picking oranges. We were so happy then. Her memories were interrupted 
by a manservant opening the door and approaching the two chairs where we sat beside the fire. My lady, there is a man downstairs who wishes to see Mistress Cook. He says it is very important. I tensed up immediately. An insane hope rushed through me. Maybe, just maybe. What is his name? asked Maria. And what does he, disturbing us in the middle of our New Year's celebrations? His name is Master Cook, the servant said. He works for Master Cromwell. Maria looked annoyed. I know he works for Master Cromwell, she said. And that makes him no friend of mine. Then she saw my stricken face and relented. But he is Cat's husband and so has a right to speak with her. Let him enter. A moment later, Will was ushered in, clasping his hat in his hands. He bowed to Lady Willoughby and then to me. She stood up. Fetch some wine for Master Cook, she ordered. The manservant hurried off. You are brave to come here, sir, she observed to Will, to the house of the most loyal of Queen Catherine's supporters. I always admire your loyalty, Will said gently. Lady Willoughby stiffened. But you never showed it to my Catalina, she objected. It was your master who brought in that woman to replace her. Will got down on one knee and bowed his head. My lady, I am sorry. I always respected Queen Catherine and would have been happy to serve her all of my life. But I am an ordinary man and my actions are dictated by the king. If I had disobeyed him, I would be in prison or under the ground somewhere. I would not be here asking to speak with my wife. Lady Maria Willoughby thought for a moment. Yes, I see. You are not protected as I am by my connections. Very well, get up. Speak with your wife. I will go to my bed. I wish you both good night. She called to Jane, who was in the next room, and they both left together. I gestured towards the seat she had left. Sit down, husband. A big smile crossed Will's face as he heard the word. He crossed the room and sat down beside me. Thank you. I've brought you a New Year present, he told me. I looked at him. He was not carrying any package. So where is it then? I asked. Just wait. You shall have it once you've heard me out, he told me. Can you be patient? I lost my temper at this point. Well, I have been patient for many months. You say you love me, but you are unsure about Alice. You say you will always be there for me. Then when I need you, you are nowhere to be found. I think I have been quite patient enough. He reached over to me and took my hand. You're quite right, Cat, and I appreciate that. I am sorry for all those months. But I had to be sure. And are you sure now? Will's hand caressed mine and then raised it to his lips. He kissed it and I felt his breath wonderfully warm on my skin. Cat, when I went away, 
I went to Wolf Hall. Why did Cromwell send you there? There's nothing to be gained from a dead queen, I said bitterly. Cromwell didn't send me there. I went for my own business, he said. You may not know this, Cat, but I'm spending more and more time on my own practice. I am linked to Cromwell, yes, but I make my own choices. At this point, a little flame of hope started to burn in my heart. Not much, but it was not the despair that had dogged me for so long. Cat, I went to see Alice. I was so shocked that I started to weep and then fell on him, beating feebly against his chest. Why didn't you tell me? You had no right. He held my hands and gently kissed me on the lips. Then he sat back, every inch a lawyer, in his black velvet doublet and hose. I needed to be sure, Cat, before I came to you. And? I demanded. And? I am sure that what I want above all things is to live with you and our daughter. Cat, I want us to be a family again, to sleep together and love and fight and do everything that families do. I felt my heart lurch when he said, our daughter, and started to cry. What about not wanting to bring up another man's child? I can never guarantee that Alice is yours. He looked long at me. It was my father, Tom, who convinced me in the end. He and Joan brought you up. They didn't know where you came from, but they saw a baby that needed love and they gave it. They saw you, a girl who deserved every bit of kindness that they gave you. And you know, Tom still thinks of you as his daughter. That's why he went to Alice's christening. She's family and she's my family too. I would be honoured to have her as my daughter if you will consent to live with me as my wife. I know I am a long way below you, Cat, but I love you more than any other. I threw myself into his arms. I've always loved you, Will, always. I was false to you and I'm deeply sorry. Please forgive me. He stroked my face. That was because I ended it, Cat. You wouldn't have done it otherwise. At first I was angry and all I wanted to do was to hurt you. But then I realised that us, you and I, have been swept along by everything that's happened. We've worked for different people and our loyalties have been divided. But from now on, Cat, my loyalties are just with you and our family. I felt so happy that I could almost burst, but part of me still had questions. What about Thomas Cromwell? What about your loyalty to him? Will answered honestly. I know you don't like this, but I will always have loyalty to him as a friend. However, I no longer work for him and we will not live with him. 
He will not be asking me to harm people you love. So will we have our own house? I asked, and I will not have to speak with him. Will shook his head. Not if you don't wish it, Cat. Although you will, I hope, realise his life depends on the king, just as ours do. His actions are all dictated by that fact. I made a face and then decided that this was as good as it was going to get. Very well. Let us find a house as quickly as possible. Will chuckled. We can do that tomorrow and then we can ride down to Wolf Hall and fetch Alice. We both stood, embracing each other, feeling each other's bodies again with delight and tenderness. To my dismay, after a minute, he pulled back. Your present, he said. I left it with the servant. I will go and fetch it. I waited impatiently until he returned, carrying a large linen bag. Here, this is for you, cat. I went to the bag and pulled it open. There, gleaming against the plain white linen, was the sea-green silk that Will had given me when we were newly married. Only now, it was made into a gown with separate sleeves slashed to reveal a yellow lining. I took the gown out and held it against myself. Underneath, there was a buttercup yellow kirtle in the finest of wool. I cried when I saw it all. You remembered... You had this made for me. I didn't deserve it. He responded with mock anger. Of course you deserved it. Now let us put it on and see how you look. We went up to my bedchamber and spent a giggly half hour untying my old gown and putting on the new. Will was a little clumsy. I'm unused to helping you dress, Cat. I would be much better at helping you undress. Indeed, my robing was interrupted many times by his kisses on my lips, my breasts, and even my thighs. At last I was fully clothed, the silk swirling like waves around me. I looked in the mirror. The green showed off my eyes and my red-gold hair, and Will had somehow remembered my body and made sure that the gown fitted perfectly. He sprawled back on the bed, his hungry eyes taking in every inch of me. Cat, you are magnificent. You're not a princess, you're a queen. Queen of my heart, my love. And so I was again disrobed, and the silk gown, the woolen kirtle, and the slashed sleeves were all laid over a chair. Will pulled off his clothes with some help from me, and at last we were both naked in my bed. We spent a long time stroking each other, kissing and licking every small part of our bodies. Somehow we knew that this would be the best night of our lives, and we wanted to take it slowly. But we couldn't delay for too long, and eventually he lifted me onto a pillow, and with me clinging to him desperately, he reclaimed me as his wife. Afterwards we lay in each other's arms, unable to sleep, 
until the late winter sun dawned. There was no regret, only looking forwards. Lady Maria Willoughby met with us after breakfast. She seemed to have forgiven him for his association with Cromwell and beamed when he told her that he was now working independently as a lawyer. So you will need a house, Master Cook, and as it happens, I have one. She told us about a small house she owned in the City of London, which she proposed to give to me. I am old and ill now, she said, and I must ensure that all those I love are provided for. Will looked at me and grinned. Thank you, my lady, he said, bowing his head. It belongs to Cat, you understand, she said, and if you try to take it from her, I will haunt you. I would not dream of it, my lady, Will assured her. You will need a maidservant, Maria said, and I have just the person for you. She went to the door and called, Jane, come here. Jane appeared, wiping her hands on her apron. I want you to work for Cat, Lady Willoughby said imperiously. Do you have any objections? No, my lady, I would be pleased to, but in what capacity? Jane looked at me. All at once, I knew what I must do. As a nursemaid, I said, I will be bringing my daughter to live with us, and you may bring your son too. They may share a nursery. It is always good for children to have companions. Jane's face lit up. Oh, my lady, thank you so much. I will care for your Alice like my own, I promise you. Lady Maria smiled. I should have done this months ago, she said, but it takes a girl like you, Cat, to shake things up. That's my girl, said Will proudly, a girl without compare. Lady Maria Willoughby died two years later, and with her went my last connections with Queen Catherine. By then we were settled in our little house, and I was with child again. Will's father, Tom, lived with us and grew pot herbs in our small garden. We visited Mistress Mead at Wolf Hall every summer. She delighted in your progress and always sent us away with a good supply of mead. We heard from the court that Prince Edward was growing well and spending time with his young sister, the Lady Elizabeth. King Henry was thinking of marrying again. Thomas Cromwell continued busy, although Will saw him infrequently. I remembered my days at court sometimes and wondered how I had survived them. I saw the Queen's less and less in my mind, as my thoughts were taken up with you, dear daughter, and your father, Will. Had this been my destiny all along? If so, it was so much better than those doomed Queen's who all died because of the king, my father. I realised at last that my happiness was because I had been denied my royal birthright and thanked God for what I had been granted instead. A hard-working life, full of incident and interest, a man to love, and of course you, my darling, Daughter Alice.